but hopefully, Lord willing, um, it'll cool down by the weekend. Uh, hopefully, we'll miss most of the storm. We'll be good to go for sunset service on Sunday night. But here we are engaged in what we call a recap of Revelation. We've walked through the book of Revelation over these past six weeks. And this week, we've been taking your questions that you've been sending in either on Facebook or, or contacting me directly with, with my email, paul.gilbert at fourworkschurch.com. And so we're tackling those. Um, just a programming note, logistical note. Tomorrow will be our last day in Revelation, last day answering questions, at least in this format. We can always ask questions in other formats. Um, and whether it's over coffee or in the office talking about various theological issues or at church but in terms of this format so make sure to go ahead and send in your um, your questions if you have any we're going to be wrapping all this up tomorrow tomorrow I'll, I'll talk about what what the plans are for the upcoming pastoral devotionals and um, some different directions at that point but but again this morning all right nothing like a little um, eschatological juice to get us going in the morning. Lord, we are thankful, so thankful that you're coming back. And that is a hope. It is a certainty. It's a reality that we want to live our lives, um, in accordance with, and we don't want to act like this life or this day is is all there is, Lord. There is an eternity that stretches out before us, and you are going to come one day and set up your, your rule, your reign for all eternity, and we want to align our lives accordingly. So, Father, give us grace, give us wisdom now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, one of the things that we talked about a little bit yesterday, and we've hit on at various points in the study of Revelation, uh, relates to the doctrine of the second coming uh, versus the doctrine of the rapture. So, obviously, historic Christendom for 2,000 years has affirmed unequivocally, in accordance with Jesus' own words, that he is coming again, that there are two comings of Christ. The first is was the, his, his visitation of humiliation, where he died on a cross for our sins. He was raised to, to newness of life. But that one day he is coming back again to set up his his rule, his reign, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and Christians have held on to this blessed hope for, for 2,000 years, and we're crying, Maranatha, or Lord, come quickly. Probably about 150 years ago, or, or so, 175 years ago, there began to be a, a doctrine being propagated and taught in the church, primarily in North America, um, which talked about... Um, the fact that not, not only is Jesus coming back again, but he's going to come back again twice, okay? One time publicly at the end of the age, and then one time secretly um, at the beginning of the tribulation period to sort of snatch believers out so that they are, the church is not part of the, of the persecution um, that's going to befall um, the earth. And by the way, Drinking from one of the mugs you guys gave me, the English postal box. Love it. And so what what we've been trying to talk about and what I've maintained is I, I don't I don't see that doctrine taught in scripture. And, and historically for 
1800 years the church didn't affirm any sort of doctrine and still the majority of the church um, around the world does not affirm that doctrine It's something uniquely uh, North American Western in that sense and we could get into a lot of reasons why it originated and you know etc but but beyond the scope of this morning but what I tried to, to show us from 1 Thessalonians 4 which is one of the classic rapture passages about being caught up in the air with Christ is actually a description of the second coming it's loud it's public there's angels I mean it's it's anything but it's anything but secret well one of you guys had a question about um, another passage that is oftentimes um, confused with this idea of a, of a rapture and this is in Matthew 24 and so let me first of all talk about what Matthew 24 is it is one of the more controversial um, complex chapters and so we're going to try to do it just a brief overview but remember this is the time when Jesus is about to go to the cross and the disciples are anticipating that he is going to ascend the throne of David and rule um, as an earthly king um, over Israel and they are coming to him with questions about when this is going to happen they they believe it's imminent okay and 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 jesus in matthew 24 sort of turns their worlds upside down and tells them it's this is not going to happen in the way that you think it's going to happen there's going to have to be a number of things happen before my kingdom is finally established and and, and he talks about how the first thing that has to happen is that the old order has to be abolished okay so the Old Testament law, the Old Testament temple, the Old Testament sacrificial system. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, the, the curtain was torn in two that separates the Holy of Holies. It was to symbolize the, the passing of the old order. And there is now a new mediator, Jesus Christ, for his people. Well, Jesus says in Matthew 24 that starts talking about how the temple is going to be destroyed and that this is one of the precursors before he sets up his reign. And so the disciples have come to him in Matthew 24 and are asking, when is this going to happen? And so Jesus kind of gives an exposition of the signs and what, what, will, what will sort of be the nature of, of this overthrow of Jerusalem and the temple. And as he's doing this, he, 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 he talks about how this destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the passing of the old covenant is in fact a prefigure of what's going to happen when he comes again publicly to set up his rule and reign in other words his second coming so the the destruction of jerusalem and the judgment it brings um, is going to be a type of the judgment that happens at the second coming and so so if you look at um verse 29 of chapter 24 in matthew um, he talks about this second coming, um, his coming. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven, heaven to the other. So hopefully that should remind you of 1 Thessalonians 4. It's virtually identical. As Paul says, Jesus is coming on the clouds, bringing um, the, 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 the saints that have already passed away with him. 
Um, those who are left on earth will be caught up with him in the clouds. There'll be a trumpet blast. Um, and, and here, though, um, Jesus is really emphasizing the judgment aspect of this. That, in other words, when this comes, it'll be glorious news for the people of God, his elect, whom he will gather. But there will be great mourning. Um, there will be great terror um, that falls upon that inhabitants of the earth who don't know Christ. Now he picks this same up theme up, continues on this in verse 36. He says, now this is interesting, but concerning that day and hour, his second coming, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. So isn't that interesting that, that those who speak with such great certainty about when Jesus is going to come back and fixing dates and times and speculating, Jesus is very clear and we don't know how this works in the economy of God, but somehow this knowledge is hidden even from Jesus the Son, right? It's in given to God the Father because obviously Jesus the Son lives his life in submission to God the Father. He does his bidding. He, he accomplishes his will. Now, listen to how Jesus describes, though, the second coming. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So here Jesus is emphasizing the idea that one day that people will just be going about their business and like a thief in the night, Jesus comes in judgment. Just like Noah and his family were saved in the ark, but the rest of humanity perished, okay, because they didn't take seriously the warnings of Noah's preaching of repentance for them. Uh, it came upon them like a thief in the night, um, and instantly they knew their folly, right? And, and so Jesus is talking about that's going to be the nature of his second coming. Then he gets to verse 40. He says, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two men will be grinding, women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But, ha but known this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, so that same thing. Now, some people have taken those two verses. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. That that's actually speaking of the rapture. You know, we're, we're, you and I are driving in a car. I'm a Christian. You're not a Christian. I'm raptured away, and, and I'm taken up, and you're left, and you don't know what's happened. I think it's a complete misreading of what this is. First of all, all of this is talking in the context of the public second coming. Okay, we've already seen that. But number two, when it talks about this idea that two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left, th that's not a sign of hope. Okay, it's a sign of judgment for the man who's taken. So in other words, he's not taken up in the air, okay, secretly, okay? He's taken, as in like the soldiers are coming and they take you, all right? Or Saul was dragging people out of their, his, their houses in the middle of the night and persecuting them. So the whole context here is judgment. And what he's saying is that for the one who um, thinks they're safe and secure in their home, so to speak, are going to become and snatched away. They're going to be taken away, taken into captivity. It's a metaphor, of course, for what will happen at the second coming. For God's people, it will be joyous. It will be amazing, okay? But for those who 
aren't believers, it will be a terrible time of judgment, just like in the days of Noah. And, and, and someone will be coming for them. That's, that's the whole nature. That's the whole point. But again, you, it's all couched in this very public second coming of Christ. I don't think those verses are just way taken out of context when you try to make them say something. They're about judgment. So what do we take from all this? Well, again, we always want to be approaching. Um, we want to be bold. Let me say it this way. We want to be bold and certain about what God is clear about. Okay. We want to be um, humble. Okay. And not speculative about things that are just that speculative. And so the things we can be super bold about, super confident about, we can put our stakes in the ground around, is that Jesus is coming again. Um, that it will be sudden, it will be unexpected, that there will be, uh, it will be great rejoicing for God's people, but great judgment for um, those who don't know Christ. And that we ought to live every day as if that, we ought to live as if that day is not, is we want to be faithful today and be obedient today, but we also want to live this day in light of that day. And, and so, and then it also just puts us in a posture again of, of let's not be, no pun intended, enraptured, okay, by um, all this speculation and fictional end time novel stuff and things that are just, um, that, that might make for fun reading and entertaining reading, but aren't, necessarily true or reflective of the word of God. And so let's put our hope in the word of God um, and what it makes very clear and certain for us. Okay, that's our word for the day. Now, tomorrow, last day of recapping and revisiting Revelation, send in your, your questions um, on the Facebook page here, or uh, you can email them to me at paul.yobert at fouroakschurch.com. And tomorrow we'll talk a little bit about what, what's next after this study of revelation is done. Let me pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are coming again and that we can plant our our flag in the ground around that. And we can we can hold on to this blessed hope. And so Lord, um we do cry today, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly in your name.